podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com. This morning we're going to be diving into the Bible. So if you need a Bible, raise your hands and we'll have some very cool individuals there to hook you up with the Bible so you could dig in. Dig in. So I'm going to I'm going to start off and run at this pretty quick because there's a lot that I want to cover. So for starters, we're going to be in the book of Acts chapter 4 for most of the parts. So you can flip your finger there real quick. And let me get started. So so we've been doing this piece on culture all this time. Looking at our cultural identity as a church, right? So I'm thinking about how do, how, do you, how do you define this and stuff, and how do you define cultural identity? And so I put together a definition for it. So it's the character traits that we display as a group of people on the whole, as opposed to just as individuals that arise from what we hold in high regard and are a reflection of who we are. That's our, our cultural identity. So why focus on, on the culture of a ho- as a whole and not just stay primarily focused on the character of the individual? Well, because God was never merely focused on just a person. He was always focused on a people. His, his goal was never just a person, just a guy. It was always a people that he, he was going after. He's talking to Abraham, and when he's talking to Abraham, he, his, his goal is the nations that are coming out of Abraham. When he's talking to Moses, his goal is let my people go, and I will be your God, you will be my people. He's always after a people. Why? Let's go back to Genesis. In Genesis he said, let us make man in our image and likeness. And when he said, let us make man in our image and likeness, he's not just talking about Adam. Like, let me just make Adam in, in, in my image and likeness. When he says man, he's talking about mankind. So it's a group of people he's talking about. And that group of people he's making in his image and likeness. Man, when he says that, he's talking about mankind. Thus, the culture of mankind living life together, submitted to God, more accurately reflects his image and likeness throughout all of creation than just an individual. And and, and that's primarily because of the diversity of the people. We got this great, big, diverse God that wants to reflect his image and likeness into the earth, so he creates many different kinds of people so collectively they will reflect him. So, so trying to understand this identity by just looking at one person is like trying to tell who somebody is by like just looking at their shoulder or something, right? Yeah. It, it, it won't happen. So this is why we're diving into our culture as a, as, as a people, and, and we're looking into different things that, that are reflections of that identity, right? So, and as we're looking at it, we want to... Look at it and, and, and measure ourselves in context with everything. See, our cultural identity as a church are not just things that we do to look like we are his. They are signs of a reality that we are his. Amen. And we take the time to examine if the signs of that reality are evident 
in order to identify idols in our heart that fight against this reality and make war against them. So that's why we're taking the time to go through this as a church together. You know what I'm saying? So Aaron dived in and he talked about one of our cultural identities is, is being rooted in prayer. Right? And, 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 and then and, and the deal here is, okay, man, I need to be rooted in prayer. And you look at yourself and you say, man, I hardly pray. The deal is, okay, so let me just force a bunch of words out of my mouth real quick. You want to start praying more, but, but while you're starting to pray more, we want to start looking into and really examining why is it that I hardly pray? Is it, is it just busyness? I'm so busy all the time. Is it, is it laziness? I never take the time to just do it. Or is there this deeper issue of I struggle with trusting God's goodness altogether, so when it comes to praying, I'm not drawn to do it as much because I struggle with trusting his goodness, you know, that he will do what is good as opposed to what I want all the time, but knowing that it's good even if it's not what I want, right? And then we dived into worship, spirit, and truth. And, and, and looking into that and looking at how he, the reality that worship permeates every single area of our life. Because we're created to worship this awesome and great big God. We're created to worship. That's, that's what we do. And, and, and then worship is a, a, a disposition of the heart, right? So well, what you do, if it's not worshiping God, then the thing is examining the then who am I really worshiping here? Am, is, am I worshiping myself? Whatever, what's the, the thing that's, that's drawing away from God that's, that's hindering that? This, that's what we're examining. And then Wes talked about evangelism rooted in hope, right? And we had a, I had a really good time with the youth last night talking about that. And we spent a lot of time talking about evangelism rooted in, in, in hope. And, 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 and if we don't understand what our hope is and how we evangelize, then we will evangelize all wrong. You will take all the weight on yourself because you, you're not really hoping in Christ. You're hoping in your ability to talk them into believing you, right? Then Aaron came again, chopped us all up and talked about being devoted to generosity, which is contrary to the culture of the world we're living that's devoted to selfishness, right? And then today, I get the awesome opportunity to dive into an aspect of our cultural identity that, that I believe embodies all these attributes, which is covenant community. So that's what we're going to spend our time in. We're going to be in Acts 2, Acts 4, and Acts 5. Most of our time will be in Acts 4. So that being said, we're going to go, we're going to read Acts 4, verses 32 through 37. Okay, it reads like this. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles was giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, 
For as many were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus, Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him, brought the money, and laid it at the apostles' feet. All right. So let's go. So, so community, right? Starting with that. A community is any group of people that share common characteristics or interests that is perceived or perceives itself in a dis- as distinct in some respect from the larger society from which it, it exists. Like when I think about that, like I think about, I'm into rap, I'm into hip hop, all right? So don't be mad at me, right? <laughs> all right? But when I think about that, I think about how you had all these people that did rap music, right? But then in, in the midst of all those people that did rap music, there became this, this culture of people that was more devoted to the art. And they became known, and it became known as the hip-hop culture. It was a thing that was in, in the midst of the, gr- the larger picture, right? So and, so, and they was distinct. Even though they all still rapped, they was distinct to the group and stuff, right? So, so when I think about culture, I think about groups of people that, that become distinct from the society that's around them in some way, shape, or form. But we're talking about covenant community, right? So covenant community is, 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 is not less than that, it's more than that. This is a covenant community is more than that because of that word covenant. So the word covenant, it, it brings the feeling of an, uh, an agreement between people, like, like a contract type of deal, right? When you think about covenant, you think about contract, you think about something that's, that's binding between these people. So, so in this community of people, there's this agreement of some type of sort that they're all coming together around that, 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 that motivates how they live together in community. It causes them to be more committed to each other, more accountable to each other. When you read verses 32 to 37, you see how covenant community looks functionally. So that's why I chose this section of scriptures because it's like you read it and you see these people living it out. So we just, we're going to pick it apart for a little bit. So in 32 it says, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. You look at that, here's the things that stand out first and foremost. There was a one heart. Here's that agreement deal here. There was a one heart, one mind. Jesus prayed for the church, and his prayer for the church that they they would be one of one mind. When, When the Holy Spirit came on the apostles, the Bible said that they was together on one accord. There's this big thing about people that are living life together, that are on the same page, that are of one mind or one accord, pushing through life together. There's this big deal about that. And I love how in the Bible it says, it, says, it talks about marriage, it said that the two became one. And like some people look at that and they just see like some, a physical deal, right? But it's, it's, it's more than that. These two become one 
because of this covenantal agreement where you have two different people that come together and form one new person together and stuff. And they are on one accord together and stuff. And their differences reflect one another and come together and make this whole new thing. Right? right. right? Also, you see inside there that, that they were selfless. People wasn't just thinking about me, just me, just me. You read these scriptures and you see people that are concerned about the welfare of the other people that are in their community. It wasn't just about themselves. And it said they had all things in common. So it was like, your joys are my joys and your burdens are my burdens. Your hardships are my hardships. We are going through this thing together. It's never just you. If you're hurting, we're hurting. All things was in common. It wasn't this thing where you're far off over there and no one really cares because I'm right here, I'm living it up while you're up there suffering. If you're suffering, we're suffering. All things was in common with them. And that's how they lived life together. Now, in verse 33, it says, And with great power, the apostle was giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. And some people read that, and the first thing that comes to their mind when it says with great power, they start thinking about miracles and healings and things like that. And those things was coming, going down, the miraculous Healings was going down, but because of the fact that that particular statement is nestled in the middle of a group of statements that's all about community, the deal here is that how they lived in community is that great power. Like, wow, the way these people are living together, this is the great power. Because it's not talking about no healings right there. It's sandwiched between a whole bunch of community. They said, oh, with great power, they're living this thing out. So how they fellowshiped and covered the community became this powerful testimony Amen. to who Christ was. Yeah. Let's jump to Acts 2, 42 to 47. You can keep your finger over there. I'm going to read it if you don't want to turn, but it's good to turn. <laughs> so Acts 2, starting from 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, again. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their numbers day by day those who were being saved. Again, you see here this tone that makes it clear that how they interacted with each other in covenant community was such a powerful testimony of Christ that God used it to draw people unto himself. So back to chapter 4, verses 34 to 35. It says, There was not a needy person among them, 
For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. When you step back and you look at what's going on, you read Acts 2, you read Acts 4, you look at everything that's happening. You see people that are, are praying with each other every single day. You see people that are breaking bread with each other daily. You see people that are devoted to the teachings. You see people that are devoted to fellowship. You see people that are, are selling their, their property for the, for the benefit of the gospel and of the church. You see people that are saying, man, oh man, you got a need? I don't got the money, but I got this thing here that I can sell to get the money to help out. You see, all these things coming on, and if, if there was a word that I could say that described how all this was possible, that word would be committed. It was committed. In Acts 2 and 42, it says, they, devote, they were devoted to the teachings and fellowship. And that word devoted is another way of the saying committed. They was committed to the teachings but there was no way to really be committed to the teachings without also being committed to fellowship. Right. So that it was committed to the teachings and fellowship. It didn't just say one or the other. Like you can't be, man, I'm really committed to the teachings, but fellowship falls short. Right. Or I'm really committed to the fellowship, but the teachings fall short. But, but these people was committed to the teachings which led to how they fellowship. So here's the deal. Their commitment to each other was a reflection of a greater commitment. Their commitment to God. We, already, we covered in Genesis, man created in the image and likeness of God. So man is the image bearer of God. And then the Bible teaches that God lives inside of our very hearts, right? So you got God living inside of our hearts. And then you get this scripture out in 1 John 4 and 20 that I love. Where basically what he says is it's impossible to love God without loving man. It's, it's weird because many people think that you can genuinely be committed to God without truly being committed to community. So many people think that, like, but it won't happen. If you're genuinely committed to God, it will lead you to being genuinely committed to community. That's how, that's how God creates it. When you read texts like Acts 2 and Acts 4 through the lenses of 1 John 4 and 20, it's like you can hear God saying, your love and commitment to me is mostly displayed through your love and commitment to my body which is primarily done in the context of community. Thus, I love the fact that God refers to us, his body, the church, as his bride because it reminds me of the most sacred human commitment that you can make on this earth. The covenant of marriage. The covenant of marriage affects how, how it, it affects your family. Your commitment to your children and your family are a reflection of your commitment to your marriage. Your children are fruits of your commitment to each other. Likewise, our commitment to one another are fruits of and are a reflection of our commitment to God. That's why we encourage, like, we encourage redemption communities. We encourage people living in community with one another. 
And it's also why we encourage membership. We encourage people to pray about moving past the curious dating phase and being actually committed as a member. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to take this time to, to announce our next membership class. It's coming up March 21st, right? You can mark your calendars, pray about it, continue to think about it. As a matter of fact, we've just recently released a, a, an updated list that's, that's not conclusive of people that are currently members that have that had made up their mind to, to commit. So if you see your name not on there, come see me. But if you've been praying about committing, we have applications out there for you. If you've been through a process before, we have stuff out there for you with that too. But I'm throwing it out there. Our next membership class, March 21st, so you can go ahead and take the day off of work or go ahead and plan to spend the day with us diving in, devoted to the teachings and fellowship. When was it? March when? Okay, 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 okay. All right. So we want to take the time to, to, to point it out because, listen, just because you frequent a particular community of believers does not mean that you're committed to the mission and doctrine of the church. Just because you show up all the time doesn't mean that you're really committed to what the doctrine and the mission is. And I don't say that to offend or exclude anybody. I'm saying to stand really harsh on this thing. Like, listen, this is, it's, it's, almost like, it's almost like somebody saying, man, I can date you for a crazy, crazy long time and do all the things that married people do and stuff. But the moment you bring up the M word, it's like, why you got to complicate things? Come on, man. I like things just the way they are. So here's the real deal here is that most of us, at some level or another, struggle with these commitment issues. So what I want to do for the second half of this is dive into some of these commitment issues. And this is what I want to do. I'm going to go to Acts 5. That's where I don't know... When the people decided to, 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 to separate the Bible, put chapters and verses, I'm not even sure. Like, they put everything in a randomizer or something because it's where, because some things, like, for instance, we're about to go to Acts chapter 5, but Acts chapter 5 is connected to Acts chapter 4, right? I mean, like, we start off with something that should have been connected with Acts chapter 4. So, so keep this in mind. We end up Acts chapter 4. They're talking about people living in covenant community with one another. They're talking about people that have, have made up their mind and what they're going to be doing is taking um, property that they had and, and, and houses that they had and selling it and they was giving all their proceeds to the church for the, for the benefit of, of the, the mission. I'm not, that's not what I'm trying to tell you to do right now. and I'm not trying to push that. I'm just saying that's what they was doing right at that time. If you want to, you could. Okay? But um. But, but that's what they was doing, and he's talking about how they, they was living together. Then you go to Acts chapter 5, and they start off, and the first thing they start off with is, but, so let's read Acts chapter 5, 1 through 6. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property and with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. 
But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself a part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, what is it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? Have you not lied? You have not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last, and great fear came upon all who heard it. The young men rose and wrapped them up and carried them out and buried them. I'm not going to lie. When I read these, these scriptures, it used to bring great fear on me, too. Like, do drop dead. If you read, <laughs> and if you read further on, his wife comes and does the same thing. And it's so weird. They were like, yo, you see them feet over there? They're the same feet of the people that carried your husband out. And they come rushing in, and she drops dead. I'm like, whoa. <laughs> so, yeah, that, that, used to, that used to shake me up some and stuff. Like, all right. But, but, but here's the thing that you see here. So the, the, he spends all this time, chapter 2, chapter 4, talking about people having all things in common, living in community with one another, all these things that they was doing, this, this obvious agreement that they have with one another, and living this thing out. And then the first thing that you see here is people who weren't of one heart and mind. But obviously, they were people that, that frequent. They know their names. Obviously, it was people that was in their community all the time and stuff. Ananias, Sapphira. But their community was going one way, and they was going a little bit of a different way. Also, you see here, because of the fact that he, he lied about it, you see that they weren't transparent to one another. See, those things are, are, are like vital in the midst of community. So we know how to pray for one another. So we know how to, how to be there for one another. Transparency is a big deal. There's no way that these people are living life together, praying with each other day after day, breaking bread with each other day after day, and they're not transparent with one another. You better believe that they was going through things and issues too. You better believe that. But I love how... Paul handles this. He didn't go to him and say, I can't believe you did this to the community. What is wrong with you? He goes at them and he tells them, listen, the main person you really offended in all this was God. That's how he goes at it. The true offense here was towards God. Because remember, how we live in our commitment to community is a reflection of our commitment to God. So, so when there's an issue with, with, with you and community, there's really a bigger issue with you and God that's going on here. And he takes the time, and you can tell that because he points out the idol inside of his heart. He says, why have Satan led you astray? Right? So here it is. At, at one time, they're living out life as as this worship to God, but there's this change. Because now it's not as worship to God. You're following something else now and stuff. So, so he, he points out the idol. See, usually there's some kind of idol somewhere along the line that hinders a person from truly committing. So I want to take the few, next few minutes to, to look into some of those idols that present themselves. 
I was looking at this article on a gospel coalition. So I suggest looking this article up. It's a really, really, really good article on the gospel coalition. And the name of the article was called False Freedom and the Slavery to Autonomy by, by Derek Rich Maui, right? So in the article, the first thing they did was put up this quote by Tim Keller. It was an awesome quote, and I love it. The quote says, you are the generation most afraid of real community because it inevitably limits freedom and choice. Then he says, get over your fear. I loved it. You are the generation most afraid of real community because it inevitably limits freedom and choice. Get over your fear. Then they list four fears, and I want to highlight the four fears that they list because I thought it was good. First of all, it was the fear of missing out. Now, I didn't know this was a thing, but I know there were some people that I, that I was dealing with that was going through that, but I didn't know it was a thing until I seen this. Oh, wow, that's really a thing. The fear of missing out. That, like, that some of us avoid true commitment because we fear we, if we commit to one thing, we may miss out on the experience of another thing. So we never truly commit. We're like experience junkies. I don't want to have nothing come up that's gonna, that may hinder me from getting this particular experience. So I always try to leave myself free. The next one was the fear of settling. And the band could come up now. Yeah, I think. All right. <laughs> the next one is the fear of settling. Now, and, and it's a fear of settling. Many of us are paralyzed to actually committing to someone or some place because we fear we might be settling for less. Like, what if something better comes along and I'm committed over here? The next one was the fear of being hurt. Many of us have, been, have, have seen or experienced ourselves or others being hurt as a side effect of commitment. Whether you've been through a divorce or you've seen your, your parents, somebody in your family that's been through a divorce, whether it's someone that's been hurt by community, somebody that's been hurt at another church that they was committed to. And we know that commitment means opening up ourselves to the possibility of being hurt again. Yep. 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 So we sort of fear commitment. Why? Because we fear being hurt. And then, then this is this fourth one I thought was, was just dead on. A fear of accountability. Now, this one, I, I just put exactly what they said inside of it because I thought it was dope. He says, we're community phobic because we're accountability phobic. We're anti-authoritarian to a degree, and that inhibits us from seeing the value and necessity of loving correction and accountability. So we avoid community because we're scared for anyone to know us well enough to call us out on anything. So we simply don't commit. We date casually, switch jobs constantly, and find the idea of actual membership in a church overwhelming, and for us, this is freedom and happiness. 
See, at the end of the day, our commitment issues typically stem from a fear of vulnerability, a false sense of freedom, and our desire to be, to only be accountable to ourselves. So here's the application. With the application, I'm going with three quotes from three different people that I feel dives right into this. Quote number one is from Tim Keller, A Reason for God. He says, freedom isn't just unconstrained choices without boundaries, but rather finding the kind of boundaries that liberate us to be fully alive. When you choose, you can actually get in on something. But if you constantly keep your option open, you're not actually free to enjoy or know anything. I think we should contemplate that. What that really looks like. All right. Then you have quote number two, which is from C.S. Lewis, The Four Loves. And it was on the risk of love, the vulnerability issue. He says, to love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. The alternative to tragedy or the, at least the risk of tragedy is damnation. Wow. Then number three is from the guy that put the quote on the thing in the Gospel Coalition, Derek Rich Marwees, in, in his article. He says, in his article, Force Freedom and the Slavery to Autonomy. He said, at some point, we must risk the choice of community. We must trust that the God who determined the time and place of our birth and life, Acts 17 and 26, is also the one who chose to become a particular man in a particular place, a man who risked loved, suffered the rejection that we fear in our place, and saved us from our misguided attempts at self-damnation to bring us into community with the triune God himself. Only then will we overcome our fears of loving particular people in particular places and experience the deep joy of love, of knowing and being known, of community. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for how great you are, Lord. We thank you for all that you do, all that you've done, and we thank you for what you're doing right now, Lord. In you we live, we move, and we have our being, Lord. Father, community is nothing without you in it, Lord. The agreement that all those apostles had, the agreement with those communities that we looked over has, was an agreement that was all centered around you, Lord. And we ask that you would turn our hearts towards you constantly, over and over and over again. That you would check our fears, Lord. Check our trust issues, Lord. Check our commitment issues, Lord. 
and that you would draw us into deeper fellowship with you as you draw us into deeper fellowship with each other, as you draw us into covenant community. Amen. This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com.